Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Bruce Levine, thank you so much for joining us on the Mike Litton Experience. I really appreciate it, bud. It's great to meet you face-to-face -face finally. I know we've done deals together, that kind of thing in the past. So as we talked about a minute ago before we started this, we're our passion, we know that everybody has a story and our passion is to help them tell it. And so with your permission, we're going to start at with the at the very beginning where you were born and then we'll take your have you tell your life story all the way up to today and then we'll talk about anything you'd like to talk about that's happening today and tomorrow, okay? Great. Well, thanks thanks for the opportunity to have me on. I'm excited about it. I, I'm excited about this, but this is going to be a lot of fun. So tell us where you were born. Sure. I, I was born in 1960 old to uh to uh you know Jewish parents in suburban Detroit just on the outskirts of the city the very first suburb after eight mile road you there know, you go name's eight mile and it was a great community to grow up to grow up in and it's still you know it's much more diverse now yeah but it's a it's a cool neighborhood where everybody sticks together and um and, and, and um, my parents were, were the children of Eastern European Jewish immigrants who came in like late 1800s, very early 1900s. So I'm, okay. a, I'm a second generation American. My wife, who's Japanese American, she's a third generation American. Wow. <laughs> and, That's and her, really cool. Her, her parents were both raised part of their lives uh, in the internment camps during World War II. So oh my gosh. having my background and she having hers, you know, there's there's some of some of that simpatico there where we understand, you know. Yeah, some real synergy. So yeah. did you grow up just outside of, of Detroit? We, we we lived uh in Oak Park, Michigan, just outside of Detroit until I was about nine. And then until I was fifteen, we lived further out. For those Detroiters who may know geography, 14 mile and middle belt or so. And um then, then uh, in in November of seventy five, we must have gotten like six hundred feet of snow. Oh, <laughs> and my my dad got on the phone. He said, "Screw it, you can't have Thanksgiving." So um, they bought five tickets to San Diego, where my aunt and uncle lived, because yeah. one of my first cousins was very ill, and the doctor said, "Go to a climate like San Diego from Detroit, so you have a better chance of survival." So that's how we got here. Wow. So 1975, and you were how old? Uh, seven, I at the time in 75, I was 15. We actually moved here in June of 76, so I would have just been 16 years old. There you go. There you go. So did you move to San Diego in particular, or was it? Uh, let's see, my folks. Uh, well, when we at first we stayed at the old Hanalei Hotel. Oh, there you go. <laughs> which we thought was the you know the Ritz. Oh yeah. Pool and shuffleball courts and. I, I met coach John Wooden having breakfast there one day. Oh my gosh. This was like, you know, for a sports oriented guy, this was yeah. last. Um, 
And my folks rented a house in Del Cerro for a year. Okay. During that time, they came to know the area and they ended up buying a condo, a 20, almost a 2,500 square foot uh, condo at St. Francis Court in Solana Beach. Okay. Which at the time was a working class city. Yeah. They, they were manufacturing aircraft parts and shipping them up to Lockheed Martin from Cedros up on the railway. Lots changed since then. Changed a little bit. Yeah, they paid <laughs> $91,900 for wow. 2,500 feet in Solana Beach. Oh, my gosh. And interestingly, my very best friend in the world who's an attorney. And when my wife and I got married, we he, he was able to marry. He was legally able to marry us. Yeah. And um, well, not, not this month, October, but a year ago, October, that house came on the market and I sold it to him and his wife. Oh, my gosh. Friends. And this is a home. It's the only home I've ever owned that I have a strong emotional attachment to. Yeah. Everyone, every other home is disposable. Yeah. This one, there were some very, very special times. And so it's oh, sure. my best friend on the whole planet owns it. Well, a small world, man. It's uh, nothing surprises me. That's amazing. So let me ask you this. So you, so what was your favorite thing about growing up in, in Oak Park? It was Oak Park and then and then Farmington Hills, West Bloomfield. Right. My God, there were a lot of kids per you know per square mile. Okay. It was a time when you know during the summer you'd be out in the street till nine o'clock. Um, I don't know if it was perfectly safe or not. You know, we thought right. it was. Yeah. Uh, I kind of have to evolve the opinion. That things aren't really more dangerous now. We're we're more fearful now. I think bad stuff happened then. It was just kept quiet. Um, but when I was young, you know, we played baseball like all until nine o'clock at night because we were in a northern, a northern latitude, so light was up until 10, 11 o'clock. Yeah. And um, you know, being part of the the Detroit, not exclusively, but part of the Detroit Jewish community was very very tight. Okay. And uh, many people knew most people or families or someone in a family. And so it was a huge support system. We, we were to others, others were to us. Yeah. And that was extremely formative to me. That's and cool. It's part of who I've always been. And now that I'm older, and I, 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 I think I understand it from a standpoint of finally having evolved to some level of maturity. Uh -oh. I'm able to implement it. That's good. That's awesome, man. So who was the most influential person to you growing up? Grow growing up. Um, that's a great question. I, I would I would say my mother because she's the parent who understood me the best. Okay. Very well. However, I'm going to say it was my father's mother, my grandmother. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, you're familiar with the film A Fiddler on the Roof, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that story of the the, the village, the pogroms and the shtetls and the Cossacks burning homes down, that was her yeah. life. That's oh what my gosh. she experienced. And yeah. I remember, you know, go, going to Sunday school and being taught about this, but it's, yeah. still, it's still kind of, uh, you know, it isn't real to a kid. Right. It's just sort of this vague concept and you don't really understand what it is. So, they took us to see the movie at the movie theater in, in, in Sunday school. That night, as every Sunday, um, my dad, his four brothers, 
all five wives, all 18 first cousins, various other relatives and neighbors, 50, 60 people would be having dinner at my grandmother's house. Oh, wow. And this was like, I don't know. I probably think it was 52 Sundays a year, but it was probably like 35 Sundays a year, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, wow, what an amazing experience. That's a great way to grow up. It was incredible. It was, and I, I, uh, I regret that my children haven't had that opportunity, but it's, it's just different times. But, yeah. but I remember one Sunday, the day that I had seen that film, I, I hung out with, with Rose in the kitchen Mm-hmm. And, I, and I asked her, I said, and I'm saying, hey, we were at Sunday school today. We saw Fiddler on the Roof. And she goes, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And so I tell her this, 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 that. I'm all excited. And then I finally ask her a question, you know, you know, like a realtor. Yap, 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 yap. Finally gets around to asking a question, right? Yeah. And and I said, is that what it was like? And she, all the blood, I'll never forget this. I can picture it perfectly. All the blood drains from her face. She turns halfway away and says, it wasn't that good. She said, what? I'm sorry, we lost you for a second. She, she said, it wasn't that good. Oh, wow. And, oh, I, and, and it just floored me. Oh, yeah. And, and then and then later, you know, much later, when, when Bonnie and I got married and when I came to know her family, and I learned that both her mother's family and her father's family had trusted their best friends who were their neighbors to, you know, they gave them cash to make mortgage payments on their houses during the weeks or months or years that they would be interned. They want, they were good citizens. They want, you know, they, they wanted to serve in the military, but they weren't allowed. Um, And in both cases, their neighbors took their money, didn't make the mortgage payments and then bought the houses at foreclosure on the courthouse steps with family's own money. Um, And so it, you know, I wrote a Brian Buffini style letter of the heart a few years ago. And and in it, I told this, this story. Right. And I think it is because so many people close to me lost their homes. Yeah. For reasons that had nothing to do with anything other than hatred and bigotry that I find it so damn fulfilling to help people, um, you know, Certainly, I like listings. They bring me control and controlling of time and efficiencies. But I get, I get a real great deal of fulfillment by helping people buy homes who think they would never be able to. Yeah, you know, the first I do one, too. When they're the first one in their family that's ever even come close. Yeah, do it. It, it is powerful. It and is. That's where it comes from. Changes people's lives, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, not just financially. Because yeah. we all know about that. But it changes their lives in a way that, you know, they know their landlord can't decide to sell the house. They yeah. can put down roots. It's a place that's theirs. They can, if it's not in an HOA, they can paint the door any color they want. Yeah, there won't be there won't be any mat pulled out from under them in this in this situation. Right. And and people thrive when they know they have stability like that. Yeah. And so do, so do children, right? So and then, and then we that, know that. And, that, yeah. and then that gets passed on. Yeah. Instead yeah, of true. The, the difficult situation you were telling me about your an earlier guest, which you know, person who overcame extraordinary odds, but usually yeah. gets passed down and down and, and is problematic. Yeah. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. What a story. So, okay. So, so you, so you moved to San Diego and your parents buy a place in, in Solana beach yep. and 
and you're you're 17 at that point or 18 at that point Let's somewhere see. in the neighborhood? Ninth grade was in Michigan. Tenth grade was at Patrick Henry. Okay. Twelfth grade were at Torrey Pines High School when it was still on a dirt road. Oh, uh, my gosh. And the term Carmel Valley meant where Roberto's is. Right. <laughs> That's the freeway. There were, <laughs> at the time, the land, all the undeveloped land over on the east side was known as North the North City West Project. Yep. You know, not very attractive for developers calling it North City West. Yeah. And uh, so, so um, you know, graduated from Torrey Pines, had a ball there. It was, I, I was a good match for the place. It was yeah. a, it was a school that really challenged me. Wow, that's cool. And it was a, it was a tremendous time to be able to grow up on the North Coast. I was very, yeah. very lucky. So. So you, so when you went to Pat, so my, my wife, by the way, full disclosure, my wife um, went to and graduated from Patrick Henry High School and my mother-in-law was the Spanish, was a Spanish teacher there. Oh, wow. Mrs. Suarez was my, was my mother-in-law. That, that's something, that would have been something if, if, if I had one of the same teachers. Yeah, wild. I've talked to a bunch of people that had her for Spanish, man. It's crazy. So, um, so you're, so you graduate Torrey Pines High School. Then what happens? Where do you go from there? I was, I've always been immature for my age. So I uh, went to a junior college for a year. If the class was interesting to me, I was the best student in the class. If I wasn't interested, you know, I get a D or an F. Right. Because I was, you know, and, and it's one of those things that if you're, if you're 18 years old and you act with the maturity of a 12 year old, it's a real problem. <laughs> and if you're 27 and you're acting like an 18 year old it's a real problem but when you're 62 and you act 45 it's okay <laughs> so you're allowed <laughs> that's what's all growing out of it yeah um, but about I, I still am someone who really only wants to be involved in people and things and activities that interest me and now i'm finally you know for a while now i've been in a place where i can do that and so Figuratively speaking, I get all A's now. That's awesome, man. So you go to so you go to 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 community college for a year. Did that for a year. Tried a semester at Arizona State, and that you know bailed on that. Thought, thought I was thought I was coming along, but I wasn't. Um, eventually, um, in 1983, four years after I graduated high school, mm -hmm. a, a good buddy of mine was going to study radio broadcasting at San Francisco State. There you and go. I figured, you know, if I've got a good friend, someone will hold me accountable, even if it, they'd be in a different major. And it turned out I knew three people, not just one. Wow. Uh, I might just be able to pull this off. And I did. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I, I chased a skirt after two and a half years and went to Northridge to finish up, mm -hmm. which, is, which is what I did. Wow. Yeah. So I graduated from Cal State Northridge after one semester in 1987. Gotcha. So, so community college, San Francisco State, then Cal State Northridge, and you no, graduate with a degree in Bachelor of English. There you go. Okay. I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a communicator. I'm a, I'm a, uh, am I allowed to say vociferous? Uh, I read a lot. There you go. I love it. I love it. You have to when you're an English major, right? I read a lot. I write a lot. I think a lot, and I like hanging out with really really smart people oh. um, and I, I actually learned uh that, that i am and this is this is going to sound dirty but it's not 
I am a sapiophile. <laughs> a, sapi a sapiophile is someone that can only have a romantic or a platonic relationship that, that works with someone who is very, very, very smart. Wow. And, and so I can be, I can be a good, I can be a friend to other people. I can be a good acquaintance to them. I can take care of their professional needs, but for, for me to be close to someone, you know, they got to be off the charts here. I, you know, I don't, I don't mean like Einstein because nobody's like Einstein. But, yeah. Yeah. And um, my father, he worked as an accountant for Ford in Detroit. He had pretty low self-esteem. Um, all men marry up. My dad married up more than most people. Right. Um, and and uh, when we moved to California, he wanted to be he wanted to be self-employed, and uh, he had had some familiarity with the building business, mm -hmm. and the real estate business, with his father-in-law in Detroit. Okay. Uh, but he got a broker's license while we were out there in San Diego. He stayed after we went home. Yeah. And then from December till June, they planned our move. And then we moved and he opened up a Realty World franchise in, in Mission Valley. Oh, I love it. And in a year, he had offices in Lakeside, El Cajon and Santee mm -hmm. uh, in a relatively short period of time. And then his partner screwed him out of everything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was disastrous. Um, and from then on, he... Uh, worked as an independent real estate broker, an independent real estate broker too. Yeah. He, he worked, I mean, he was doing 1031 exchanges before even the people who wrote the Internal Revenue Code really knew what they were. Wow. He was just, he liked doing real estate that was creative. He yeah. liked doing assumable loans and that, where people could fill the gap with, with boot other than uh, things other than cash, the kind of stuff like all people like you and I understand. Right. Um, creative financing with a capital C. <laughs> and, you know, I, I got my real estate license in 1990 in Virginia. I got married in 80, uh, I should know this, 88. Okay. First time was 88. And we wanted to move to the Washington, D.C. area. We settled in Alexandria, Virginia, got my license the first time. And... Um, I had been exposed to what my dad had done. Yeah, and, you know, I understood a lot of of the industry, a lot of the vernacular and the terms, but I couldn't find anybody that I thought could help me. The basic response from every broker in town that I met with was, "Well, there's your desk. Here's the yellow pages. Welcome to Mount Vernon Real Estate." <laughs> and dialing for dollars, baby. <laughs> And remember the part where I said that if I'm not interested in something? Yep. Yeah. So I did what any sensible person would do who was married and had a wife who said, who was saying, dude, you better earn some money. Um, I got a series of temp jobs. And that's, that right? what I did. that's what I did. To support your real estate habit? No, to support. I wasn't, I hadn't affiliated with anyone because I couldn't oh. find anybody that I respected. I got you. Okay. That's good to have high standards though. That's a good thing. I, I, uh, yeah, I try to have very high standards. That's why I hang out with people like Molly, yeah, like Sean and Brian Garrity and Wes Shaw. Yeah. Yep. And now you, that's um, a good, that's a good group. <laughs> the, the really short version. 
by sheer dumb luck, I met a woman who was managing a Long and Foster office in Alexandria, Virginia. Okay. Largest independently owned real estate company in the mid-Atlantic United States. Yep. It was a new office. She had been with the company for a couple of years. She had wanted an office in the old town Alexandria area. They made her manage an office in a crap area for a couple of years. She made them profitable. And she saw something. First of all, it took me a month of pleading to get her to agree to see me. Wow. This is a real estate office where, you, you know, a pulse and a real estate license does not cut it. Correct. He was highly ethical. And, and if she didn't think that, um, if she, if she couldn't tell the other agents that were there that she knew with certainty that you could succeed, she wasn't going to hire you because she wow. was only hiring people that would succeed. And there was a 24 transaction unit requirement in your first year. Otherwise you were fired. Wow. A level of accountability that's unheard of. Yeah, here's the standard thing, right? That sounds like the perfect the perfect place for you. For me, it was because I trusted her. I mm -hmm. respected her. I knew this was the work I wanted to do. And yeah. I didn't care that I was at the lowest commission split in the state of Virginia. Yeah. Because it was like getting a Harvard graduate school education in real estate. Yeah. All working for a 44% split. It sounded like you were going to work for a superstar, man. Uh, we remain in touch. It was like, you know what it must have been like? It must have been like those politicians working for Kennedy and Camelot. Mm -hmm. It was so utterly innovative and revolutionary and ethical and moral and ever, always wanting to do the right thing. And, you know, if your colleagues didn't do things the right way and you did, they were fired regardless of their productivity yeah. because she wanted to be able to recruit agents that were good to great and she could help become better. Yeah. But if she had bad apples. She knew that she wouldn't be able to do that. Well, so, she felt this. It sounds like she felt this overwhelming responsibility of the people that worked there. And it, it sounds like she protected them, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. You're, you're, you're extremely astute in your observation there. So, yeah. um, I had no idea what I was doing, even though I I had been trained for four, for four months before I was even allowed to talk to a prospective client. I could hand calculate buyers' closing costs, sellers' net sheets using VA or FHA financing or, you know, any whatever the programs were. Right. And there were all kinds of tricks she'd throw into the questions because yeah. it closed the first business day before uh, Christmas. Mm -hmm. And you'd have to figure out in the mail, was the FA, FHA payoff going to reach the lender on time or and was there going to be another month of interest? And if you blew that, you didn't pass that section of the training. Wow. Yeah, it was it was stunning. And, and you know, the software that escrow companies use now can't yeah. do that. I, I, I used to be able to do it by hand. Wow. So, so when I went out and talked to people, I had no competition. Yeah. Just didn't know that. Um, I sold 30 units in my first calendar year. Say it again. We you skipped out for a second. Say it again. Sold 32 units. Oh, 32. So the minimum was 24. You sold 32. Good job. Yeah, yeah, because I was scared to death I'd get fired. So right. <laughs> there was no other place to go. Right. How humiliating would that have been for her to show you the door? <laughs> 
like the door. Like and the door. I, you know what? I'll tell you something else. I'll I'll tell you something else. I believe. I believe you never wanted to let her down. Yeah. I believe she earned your loyalty. I I do. I truly. I see it. I, I see it. When I do the work that I do, it is not an uncommon thing for me to still think that I don't want to let her down. I want yeah. to create the situation. I can write her or call her about and say, yeah. guess what I did? Yeah. And of course, I'm going around thinking, ah, I did it all myself, right? Yeah. Bullshit. I, yeah. I don't know what I'm yeah. allowed to it's, do. Well, it's, it's true, man. I mean, it's absolutely true. Yeah. And and so it was it was revolutionary to me. It, it was just utterly life-changing. I have no idea what would have become of me um, if, if I hadn't run into this woman. So how so, long were you at Long and Foster's? I was there for a few years until she moved on to bigger and better things. Okay. I bounced around, uh, divorced, got remarried, spent a few years working for a trade association. Um, was that back there or were you out here then? That was back there. Okay. And uh, I knew I could do the real estate, but my what? My wife, my, the second time I was married, she just wanted me to have a regular job, benefits, that kind of thing. And I just was not in a strong I wasn't in a strong place. Yeah. I was kind of lost without the leader, you know? Sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. So eventually, you know, eventually everything comes around, right? Isn't that and, the truth? Right. And so after the second marriage ended and I found myself a personal and professional free agent at about the same time, mm -hmm. um, I came back to San Diego, which is where, where I really wanted to be. And I touched base with Diane mm -hmm. and she said, um, how would you, how would you feel about managing some real estate offices? And okay. I said, Diane, I haven't done a real estate transaction in six years. And da, da, da. Right. She said, well, that's not the answer I want. Can you think of another? That <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do. She says, great. There's a, uh, there is a uh, plane ticket that's waiting for you at the airport. And you leave on a seven o'clock flight tomorrow and you're going to Boston. And I got picked up in Boston and for, for uh, eight months, I worked for an old Carlson GMAC uh, company, General Motors Acceptance Corporation. Yeah. And they their company was implementing Diane's strategies. Okay. And she was coaching... Uh, principals and key executives of large national and regional real estate firms. Gotcha. So I already knew how to do this. So yeah. it's what, and um, you know, Diane was a powerful lady. Yeah. And, and a guy who was hired as the CEO of of that company after her contract had been signed um, came in and and he did not like a strong, powerful woman telling him what to do. Interesting. Yeah, you know, which happened, we, we all know there's a, a great deal of uh, sexism in our industry and, yeah. and bigotry and all, all those terrible things. And um, so as soon as they informed us that they were not going to be implementing your program, I quit. Wow. It, wasn't, it wasn't in my financial interest. We did well. Yeah. I, I did well for them while I was there. But I... Uh, they, they had made me certain financial promises and I wasn't able to take advantage of those because I wasn't going to work for someone who wasn't on board. Yeah. Uh, Diane was able to get me back to San Diego with another one of her clients. Wow. Here's where the story gets interesting. Okay. 
while still in Virginia in the year 2000, at age 40, I had a heart attack. Nearly killed me. Oh, um, my gosh. Left anterior descending, and it's miraculous I survived, but I did with very little heart damage. And, yeah. you know, most people get, you know, they, they do angiograms and angioplasties and occasional stents, and everything works out well. In my body, my body is that small part of the bell curve where when you put a stent in, your body grows all kinds of excessive scar tissue and clogs it back up again. Oh, no. Angioplasties don't work. So from the time of the heart attack until 2006, which is when I'm back in San Diego, I was managing right. Millen at the time. Uh -huh. I was on and off the operating table a few times a year. And in aggregate, it just annihilates you. It wipes you out. Yeah. Um, there were probably three or four exit points that I should not have survived, but I did. Hmm. Um, eventually, my cardiologist, who, who had taken care of family members before, and I loved and respected, and he was a great diagnostician, mm -hmm. he said, you know, Bruce, Bonnie, you need to go home and make plans. There's nothing else I know what to do, but I, but I know what to do for you. And so um, we rented a house in St. Francis Court, because I thought mm -hmm. it would be a good place to die. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And um, over the course of a year or so, to everybody's surprise, I didn't die. Um and when I decided to get back into the business rather than manage, I decided I've got to be able to control my time. Mm -hmm. So I can take care of my physical health, my mental health. I'm not going to take a paycheck from someone and be owned or leased by them. Right. Yeah. So I, I just joined the, 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 the largest, closest office that I could get to without going on a major road, which was the old Prudential California Realty Office on Via de la Valle. Yeah. And I went out and I wasn't in my best shape, but I did 19 units in my first year. Oh, good for you. That was a wealthy area. And so the average transaction in, in whatever that year was, was probably like, you know, a million four, a million five, which yeah, is now, somewhere in the neighborhood. Yeah. That's how the average house is now in Claremont practically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Times my change. Average, yeah. My average sales price was somewhere like around 40. No, not even that. About thirty percent of that. Wow. But I, but I did units. I've always been a units-driven person. I, yeah. I follow hearts and minds, and when we're well aligned, I go to the wall for them. Yeah. Diane, the mentor, taught me a simple method of how to alienate difficult, troublesome people quickly. Um, everything she really taught me was about developing the habit of of every day almost without thought, creating micro-efficiencies that are barely mm. perceptible. And you may not even realize you're doing it. And each by themselves is pointless. But right. built up in aggregate over a long period of time, they become immensely powerful. And now I'm that person with all, you know, with 10 million micro-efficiencies working for me. That's cool, man. So... So what happened with your health? So you were you, you were diagnosed and you were supposed to you were supposed to expire. And this was that was what seventeen years ago. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, okay. My wife and I decided that we were going to search high and wide across the world and find the best healthcare that we could find. And we didn't know if we were going to go metaphysical and find John of God in the forests of Brazil mm -hmm. or go to Europe or wherever and and buy. And we didn't want to make a lot of noise within our 
our circle of friends because that's distracting. We talked to two people. I'm not going to get into who they are, but one of them knew uh, one of their children was married to someone in one of San Diego's most well-known philanthropic families. Okay. So they asked that someone in that family for the favor of trying to get me in to see um, a guy at Scripps who's extremely well-known. I'm not, again, not going to mention the name. And it usually takes eight months to get an appointment. I had an appointment at 10 a.m. the next day. Wow. Somehow they had a copy of all of my medical records going back to my heart attack. So it's something they can do if they want to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. If you know the right people. Right. So he he introduced me to Dr. Mimi Guarneri, who is an integrative cardiologist. She now practices in private in La Jolla. Okay. And, and, you know, integrative, holistic, they both mean the same thing. They, they do surgery. They do pharmacology. They do support groups. They do tertiary prayer. They do yoga and stress reduction techniques. Yeah. They, they do anything for which there is hard or, you know, uh, what's the word? Tertiary evidence? Yeah, That's so cool. kind of an all-inclusive approach. Yeah. Some, that, you know, whatever, whatever may work, they go at it. And um, she said to me, I won't use her language. She was a she's quite a pistol from the streets of Queens. <laughs> uh, really, I mean, really a pistol, like a big, fat, powerful pistol. She, she, you know, she said, "I can help you, but you're going to have to do it. I tell you to do. You have to. We have to keep you off the operating table because you're physically and emotionally traumatized." <laughs> and she diagnosed, not diagnosed, but she she. Um, prescribed a treatment for me. It's a mechanical treatment called enhanced external counterpulsation. Imagine this, an hour a day, five days a week for seven weeks, you lay on a gurney. So you're an outpatient, you go there mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. They hook up a EKG to your chest and they hook up these very large, heavy blood pressure cuff-like devices to your legs, thigh and, and rear end and counter your heartbeat while you're lying there, it squeezes. And with your heartbeat, it relaxes. And it has the effect of forcing blood from your lower body into your thoracic area, the way vigorous exercise would do if you could do it. And over the seven weeks, it, it, it helps grow what are at first microscopic blood vessels that provide an alternate route from, from, for blood to get to your heart. And hmm. it continued growing even after the treatment, and they make the blockages that you have in your coronary arteries less relevant. So I went from being able to walk two city blocks and then collapsing to being able to walk five miles on the beach on sand. Wow. No other intervention. And until March of this year, you, you, you did the math right. You said yeah. it gave me 17 years of efficacy with no need for any um intervention at nine years they did they did they did a angiogram but only to get a clean set of films yeah and then wow. so had, that's had, fascinating it's, it's wild this is an fda approved procedure no one's ever died from it it's so safe that it is something that people it is prescribed for people in an er setting in the midst of a heart attack 
But oh, most, wow. most doctors don't know about it. Most cardiologists don't know about it. And it doesn't make anybody any money. So never heard of it. I've literally never heard of it. Even most cardiologists. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, uh, I had to have one in March of this year and they found some problems and they tried to treat them in the most uh, cautious way rather than going in with too much. And then I had another one in June. Things had gotten worse. Oh. So, so uh, it, it, it struck my doctors and it struck me that I was back into the same situation I'd been previously. So just about a couple of weeks ago, I finished up a seven week round of the enhanced external contrapulsation. Hmm. Um, but I wasn't collapsing before. So we just got to, we have to wait and see if I feel chest pain or, or, or worse. Um, yeah. It's kind of a funny way to live because, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so dedicated to the interest of the people that I take care of. Mm -hmm. uh, and I carry the, I carry this around with me every single day. Uh, it, it has fomented uh, issues with my mental health and thank God um, I have access to good medical care and insurance and I've been able to get great treatment. I'm the poster child for proper mental health medication. Yeah. I don't know anybody who's had the good fortune to be treated as well as I have. I, I, I cannot imagine what my circumstances would be. Yeah. That was well, that's fascinating, man. I, I, I learn something every time we do this, but this is, this is really cool. Told me. And so, so the short version is kind of that once I started selling and I had that year with 19, mm -hmm. then I, I kind of slipped a bit um, and I was doing like, you know, eight, 10, 12 a year for a few years, but I was highly, highly, highly motivated. It just right. wasn't happening yet. Um, the, this was during the period of years, um, you know, following the, the crash. And um, I just did the best that I could. And I had decided I wanted to be an independent broker. Mm -hmm. Then one day, the compliance officer at the brokerage I was with red marked one of my contracts so that he could barely read the contract. And I was like, this was a beautiful transaction. You know, right. Our, the, the buyer and the seller were lovely. Um, I was pretty nice. The agent on the other side was, was, a, was an angel. And I just didn't like the way that it felt. So I walked into my manager's office. I said, I'm going to take... I'm going to sign up today with Dwayne Gomer. I'm mm -hmm. going to get my credits. I love Dwayne Gomer. I do too. I've, I've used Dwayne before. Yeah. I want him to live to be 186, not 86. Yeah. I hope he's <laughs> forever. I got my license. When I got my license, I told him I'll be out the door as soon as I find the office space that I want. Yeah. And so I rented, I, find, I found it on my own. I found some space on Jimmy Durante. Okay. In the fair. So yeah. Uh, independent real estate broker, brick and mortar with a Del Mar address. There you go. Business increased 250% immediately, simply wow. because of market perceptions. Anyone on the North Coast that I met with was okay hiring me. And nobody in, um, you know, Mira Mesa or Claremont or Linda Vista or South of the Eight or into Shula or San Isidro would have any problem because they're getting this allegedly great Delmar agent, right? Right. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and um, it plateaued at a particular level. For a couple of years, I had a team 
and we sold a lot of houses and made, mm. made money, but I hated it because all I was doing was managing people. Yeah. I like being at a street level, talking to people who buy and sell homes, people like, your, people like yourself who are industry colleagues, people in the mortgage business, um, people who are doing flipping, everything that's ancillary to what we do. Yeah. And so since then, you know, I do like 25 to 30 units a year, like clockwork. Um, I don't care if it's, you know, someone, a former client's granddaughter who wants to buy, you know, a one bedroom condo in Oceanside as their first home. Yeah. Or if it's a place in Santa Luz, that's, you know, three and a half million bucks. Yeah. Processes, everybody gets the same love and care and process. Yeah. Everybody knows that ahead of time. And they're either, they're, they're either well aligned or they're not. Yeah, I walk. I won't let anyone hire me if we're not well aligned. Yeah, well, life's too short, buddy. And you know, it's I I tell people all the time: once you understand this business, you're filtering them, not the other way around. I mean, it's it's just the way it is. You gotta you gotta watch out, like you like you said, you gotta watch out for your own well being, right? And look, look at what it is that the people in our industry, most of the people in our industry do. Yeah. They, will work with anyone they will work at whatever fee that person wants them to work yeah. you know imagine if imagine if you, you know when you listed a house you took three percent i do when i list a house i always take three percent on my side mm -hmm. as cooperating compensation at least until the lawsuit is lost if it is <laughs> if it, if it is lost. yeah uh, it's just based upon market conditions and um you know, imagine if, um, let's say, let's say I was competing against someone for that listing, and right? Two and a half percent, and the person says, "Well, would you do it for two? So, you know, what, what is that? Twenty percent discount? Mm -hmm. Because somebody asked, will you discount your services twenty percent simply because I asked you to? Um, can you imagine if an offer came in for a million dollars on their million dollar house? And the agent said to the seller, well, you know, it's only $800,000. It's a 20% discount, but, you know, I think you should really take it. It's a good offer. You'll take that, won't you? Yeah. So someone who's willing to negotiate away 20% of their fee just because somebody asked isn't going to be a strong negotiator on behalf of their client. I'm, amen. I am. Every single client I meet with before I let them hire me. Did you hear that? Before I let them hire me. Mm-hmm. I discuss my negotiating strategy with them, which I'm not going to do here because I don't want to give it away. Right. But, but it's and that's okay. We're good with that. It's highly it's highly effective and it's genuine and it's mm -hmm. professional and it's kind and it's thoughtful. And it it praises, I mean, it praises the agent on the other side of the table because because we know how hard it is mm -hmm. to list a house. I hate the term listing, to 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 sign a residential. Uh, listing agreement so that they can market the home that someone has made a lot life in. I mm -hmm. wish there was a term we could come up with other than listing. Yeah. That's that's our vernacular, not our yeah. clients. Well, present for sale. Right, whatever whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, my God, do I love giving that speech about a negotiating strategy? Because you know what, no one I compete with has one. Yeah. Or if they do, they never talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of your secret sauce, right? It, you know, that's part of it. 
I think it really comes down to trust at the end of the day. It does. At some point during my career, I went from the, remember Bob Bruss, the guy that wrote the column in the newspapers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he would tell every home seller, interview three real estate agents, right? And so for a while, a lot of the time, I was one of those real estate agents getting getting interviewed. Mm-hmm. And I'd get more than one out of three of the listings, but still I was going through it. And then at some point, rather than using the scripts and dialogues I learned, I came to understand the ideas behind them. Mm-hmm. So I was able to basically uh, use my own voice and express the same ideas in my own voice with a character that is innate to who I am. And when I started doing that, people just hired me. They didn't yeah. ask me because it, it smelled like leadership. And yep. that's, what, that's what they wanted. Well, and you were congruent, right? Yeah. You were authentic. And that's that's a big deal. Can I can I tell a dirty joke about authentic, about being authentic? Of course. Okay. Um, a few times a year on Facebook, I post the following because I, I think it's so true. And because it's funny, people read it and then they try to apply it sometimes. Always be authentic. Unless you're an asshole, then don't be authentic. Right. Uh, and, and it, you know, it it is it is my mantra. Um, you know, it's like Popeye. I am what I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be right for everybody. I want to be right, right for the people that I'm well aligned with. And then I do a bang up job for them. Um, yeah. In my career, my listings have sold, like going back to 1990, my listings have sold for above an average of 100% of list price every single year that I've worked. That's awesome. Uh, regardless of the market. So it's 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 fun. And, I, and I, I joke that I have no other skills or talents, so I hope I can keep my real estate license because I don't know what else I'd do. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations. I'm happy for you. So so now we're present day, right? And you're it sounds like your health is is somewhat on track. It sounds like you're you're still kind of feeling it out and that kind of thing, but it sounds like it's getting better, right? So is there anything today that you'd like to talk about that you're working on today? Yeah. Um a couple of years ago. Um, because I can't get life insurance because of the health issues, yeah. to invest in some residential real estate somewhere that could provide cash flow for my family should I die younger than we would like me to. Protect them, yeah. Right. And as you know, Southern California real estate just requires so much cash, mm-hmm. highly problematic, no matter how successful you are at your business. True. And so I, I, I ignored Forbes and U.S. News and World Report. And I looked at some metropolitan areas across the United States, looking at the data and interpreting it for myself. And I went and I visited Huntsville, Alabama, the northern okay. places, which is nothing like the rest of the state. Mm-hmm. Huntsville has more PhDs per capita than any metropolitan area in the United States, except for Boston. Gotcha. Uh, Why is that? NASA's is there. So no, NASA's there? Okay. That's where they built the Saturn V rockets that went to Okay. Okay. Them. That's where they built them. Um, and so, so you've got aeronautics, you've got military, you've got that. Apple, Facebook, Google all have presences there now. Wow. Um, uh, about 15% of the Federal Bureau of Investigation personnel who used to be at Quantico are now 
at Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville. Yeah. It's a area, about 500,000 and growing. Um, now I'll use U.S. News in a positive way. Um, within the last couple of months, they've named it uh, the best the best place for employment for people in tech. Uh-huh. Uh, the, I'm sorry, that is not right. Best the best place for the best city above half or metro area above half a million people for employment in the United States. Gotcha. Third in the South for tech. Okay. Austin, uh, Atlanta, and Huntsville. Gotcha. Uh, also is named the best place, the best city to raise a family in. in mm-hmm. the United States. Um, and so I own some investment property there now. Good for you. Which I'm real happy about. And interestingly, I've sold about a dozen or so investment properties to San Diego colleagues and friends and clients as well mm-hmm. because they had the same need that I had. Yeah, it works. It works. Yeah. So, you know, they they pay. And because the purchase prices there are so much lower, some people, if they, they come into some money, they can just pay the mortgage off. Yep. And Pretty cool. It really is cool. So it's also a very civil town. Um, you know, like any any city, it's going to have some problems, but mm-hmm. people with widely varying opinions are polite to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't break out in fistfights over it. They they might show up at the same place at a planned political event, and everybody makes their appeals and says their says their piece, and then everybody walks out and everyone's nice to each other. And they go down the street and have supper together. Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That part of the country is very, very gentle, man. They're, you know, it is, and it's that doesn't mean it's unsophisticated. No, 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 no. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say. I, in fact, I, my feeling about it, and I don't know how you feel about it, but my feeling about it is, you have to be more sophisticated to have that sort of an approach. It's the lack of sophistication that's causing a lot of this division in our country. And you know, if you're if if you are, if if you think correctly, and I believe the world should, but that's my opinion. If you believe correctly, you can love somebody that's the opposite of whatever your political situation is, just as much as you do somebody who's part of your political party. Of course, you can, I mean, if not more, right? I I, I don't want to go out on a limb here too too long about this. It's okay, you can. Jewish guy, right? Yeah. Here. This window of time right now when these horrifying things are happening. That's the amazing. Family, the family that I am closest to in San Diego is a Palestinian family. Yeah. They own a restaurant and cafe called Farouz Cafe and Gallery. It's on Midway. And I think of Ibrahim and Sammy as my brothers and Samara mm-hmm. as my sister and their daughter Haya as my little sister. Mm-hmm. And when we see each other, we kiss each other like old Russian men would. Mm-hmm. It's just love. Yeah. And and if we can do it, anybody can. I guarantee it. And it's it's what makes the world go around, man. It it, it really it, you know, it's funny. It translates to business. Mm-hmm. When you when you have the people that have the capacity to really love people in a mm-hmm. you know in a correct way and, and love everybody, mm-hmm. see the good in them and understand that we're all frail, flawed people underneath. Boy, do people respond to that well. Um, Amen, brother. Most people just, um, I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's the way they were raised. 
Maybe it's intelligence. Maybe it's environmental. I, I just don't know. Na nature versus nurture. Who knows? Yep. That's, that's not my expertise. Um, but for the ones that that do recognize that, um, and I can already tell that's you, yeah. you must know that that helps drive your business. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely does. You know, I, I grew up in Oklahoma and the, the single most important influence or single most influential person in my life growing up was my grandfather. My grandfather was a, was a dyed in the wool, dyed in the wool FDR Democrat. And, um, you know, I, and I mean, you know, new, you know, big, you know, new deal, the whole thing. I mean, right. And <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't my, that wasn't my political upbringing. And, but I, but I, I couldn't have loved him more if I tried, there was no way. And I didn't agree with him on a lot of things. We, we disagreed on a lot of things, you know, but at the end of the day, whether we agreed or we disagreed, we still loved each other and we still took great care of each other, you know. I have I have people hire me from practically every political background you can imagine. Yeah. They hire me because they think I'm good at what I do. Yeah. And 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 it's interesting. Sometimes I mean I'm I'm pretty progressive, uh, but I have lots of clients who are conservative and sometimes mm -hmm. sometimes they hire me. Um sometimes they hire me because they say, "You know what? Yeah. If, if I was hiring someone for a political movement, I wouldn't hire you." Mm -hmm. but you're really good at what you do you're, you're not dissing us because of our beliefs you know when my wife went off about something which has nothing to do with real estate mm -hmm. I just smiled and said that's okay let's talk about real estate yeah and and they appreciated the professionalism and uh, i'm thinking of a specific instance here in claremont and i got a record high for a house of that square footage in, in Claremont it, mm -hmm. at the time it was 600 grand and everybody thought oh my god how did someone sell a house for 600 grand in Claremont yeah but it was quite an accomplishment and um and they needed it they needed it to be that accomplishment to accomplish what they wanted so it, it's his name I'm not going to use last names Michael and Melinda and and he said we're hiring you because we think you're a rock star and we mm -hmm. we desperately need a rock star mm -hmm. and i i hate that term you know springsteen's a rock star i'm just a real estate broker but well you real estate rock star you know yes I, I guess that's so. okay that's I, okay i mean i have an ego the size of a planet but i'm also i try to i try to be humble and when i'm when i'm when i'm working because i realize in the scheme of the world you know what we do just isn't that important that doesn't mean we want to don't want to do it as well as we possibly can for the absolutely people. no it's true yeah, it's important to our clients. Yeah, it's everything to them. Yeah, there's a right way and a wrong way. And to yep. me, there's no gray. So. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I have so enjoyed the bit of time we spent before you pressed the record button and all of this time since. What a what a what a great time. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad Molly brought us together. And you know, Molly Coleman, for everybody, full disclosure, Molly Coleman um, referred referred you to me to be on the Mike Litton experience. She actually, we did a, a podcast interview with her recently, Sean Patrick Murphy, who you used to work with. And so we've got a lot of people at six, that six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing, right? We had a lot of people around us that we're connected to. So uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this, Bruce. And it's, um, it's, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? 
I think that's plenty for today. I, I'm looking forward to meeting you in three dimensions. Yeah, it'd be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. All right, buddy. Well, thank you again for your time and thank you for being on the Mike Litton experience. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. You take care, okay? We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.